Thank you. It's really good to be with you. And uh, I just particularly wanted to say thank you so much for all these people who have been praying for us and who have supported us in the midst of our second child's arrival. So we had a little girl called Lexi. I think she's going to appear on that. There she is. It's cute as a button, by the way. And uh, we are just about six weeks in, coming to terms with the little bit less sleep and all the nappies and all that jazz. But uh, we also have a little boy who's two this week, which is very cool. His name, uh, his name is James, and uh, he's a bright, bubbly child. He's kind of, you know, the center of attention where he wanted to speak to everybody and smile. We call him Flame Boy because he's got this bright red hair. And, uh, you know, he's just recently started doing some things where... Um, He's hiding stuff in unusual places. And so the other day, you know, I was in the band. uh, Just alongside the toilet basin there, there was a tube with the toilet brush in it, but it wasn't quite put in properly. I thought this was very unusual. So I obviously grabbed the toilet brush, gave it a bit of a shove, didn't go anywhere. So I thought this is very strange. Lifted it out and looked down the tube, and there, from our cutlery drawer, is a dining spoon that we got for our wedding gift. Well done, James. Now, um, you've got to help me for a minute, though, because this started a little debate in the Wilson household, okay? So uh, between my wife and I, how many of you would have been the people who just gave it a rack in the drawer, and how many of you would have gone straight in the bin, all right? How many people would have gone back in the drawer? Be honest. And how many people would no chance it would have gone in the bin? Oh, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, listen, I'm actually... I'm actually not going to tell you what we did, but it might be interesting if you come back to our house for dinner. Um, But listen, I am convinced that Paul, through the letter that we're going to look at today, is going to be a little bit more clear with some of his answers, okay? Because we're in the middle of a series at the moment called Hope and Glory. We're looking at the the book of Colossians. It's a letter written from a prison cell to a church in Colossae. And um, uh, we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 16, reading through to uh, chapter 3, verse 4. You can follow it in your Bibles or it'll be up on the screen. But how about we pray one moment and just ask God to come and speak to us first? Would that be all right? Father God, we thank you so much for your presence here today. God, we love it when you're speaking to your people, God, and my prayer right now is that, Lord, you would speak to every single person in this place. Lord, that we would have our ears tuned in to the thing that you want to speak to us individually, personally, deep into our hearts and minds. So we love you and we welcome your presence just here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, folks, it says this, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you are still belonging to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, uh, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
It's a great passage. You know, having a, a two-year-old boy means that I'm able to kind of relive some of my childhood, and we are right now in the middle of a whole stack load of Disney movies. Who likes a good Disney movie? Come on, be honest, don't leave me hanging. You know, we've got Monsters, Inc., outstanding. Toy Story movies, brilliant. I've, I've, there's a Toy Story fan right there. I've recently been introduced to Frozen. You watch Frozen? Oh my word, how much of those songs stick in your head. Seriously. Um, but you know, my favorite all-time Disney movie is The Lion King. Anyone like The Lion King? Come on. So The Lion King is all about this young uh, lion cub called Simba. And uh, Simba is uh, due to be one day the king of the whole savannah, the whole pride. And his father is a guy called uh, Mufasa, but he's cunningly killed by evil Uncle Scar. I'm sorry that I'm ruining the movie for you if you haven't seen it. But cunningly killed by evil Uncle Scar to the point where Simba thinks that it was actually his fault, disappears and then finds these funky characters called Timon and Pumba. But you know, in the midst of me watching this movie, there was a moment when God really started to speak to me. Because it was just the point when a, a baboon monkey called Rafiki, any of you known Rafiki, he's a cool character from The Lion King, let me tell you, um, gives uh, Simba a little bit of a nudge and says, hey, you need to come with me, you need to come with me, your father's going to speak to you. And he looks down, it's in this scene just here, although it's a little bit on the dark side, and he leans down into this pool and he hears his father's voice. It's James Earl Jones, it's a booming, powerful, strong voice, and it says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember, 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 remember. And it lodges into his mind and catapults him into his true destiny. Now for me, as I've been looking at this book in Colossians, this letter that was written, Paul, you know, is doing exactly the same thing. He's consistently telling us, reminding of, remember who you are in Christ. Let me prove it to you. Uh, the next slide is going to show some of these things. In Colossians 1.14 it says, In whom, that's Christ, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. 2.6 says we've been charged to continue to live in him. 2.7 says we need to be rooted and built up in him. 2.10 says we've been given fullness in Christ. Uh, 2.11 says in him you were also circumcised. In 2.12 you've been buried and raised in him. 2.15 we're triumphing over them, that's the powers and the authorities, in him. And then the verses that we've just read, similarly, he continues with, you are found in Christ. You have died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You are now hidden in Christ. Do you think, now I'm no theologian, but do you think he might want to make a point? Right? He might want to be telling us something about this uh, passage and indeed these details. Here's why I think he is, because you know, so much of our lives we can walk around with these labels on. Okay, this is who I am, this is the group of people I'm connected to, this is what I do, this is what I have. And so for such a long time, for me, I was Steve Wilson computer geek, right? Or I could be uh, Steve Wilson uh, Cub Scout, but comes from a broken home. Okay, these were the labels that were on me. You know, I'm Steve Wilson, um, you know, one of the lads for a little while, for sure. Steve Wilson, this skinny kid who really likes Disney movies, uh, it's true. But you know, what I am realizing, the more I go deeper with God and look at passages like this, is that my identity has shifted. I'm no longer, um, even the positive things, so even where I might be, uh, you know, Steve Wilson, evangelist and preacher, and actually those things don't label me. It's not, I'm not defined by external things. Instead now, I get to be Steve Wilson in Christ. Yeah, we get to be, we get to be, Steve Wilson, son of God, because my definition now is that I am his. Yes. 
And so as we come to learn how to believe this, as we have, get this deeper into our hearts and minds, it's not, it's not that it uh, kind of changes necessarily, or, or it speaks over and above every class and every social status. It speaks over my present health and my strength and all the things like my salary, which in the world's eyes might define us. And we realize that fundamentally, primarily, we are his. Now, up until this point in the letter, Paul predominantly has been writing uh, what we call Christology. Okay? It's, uh, it's where he speaks about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But in these verses, he starts to address some very specific uh, teaching that in the church here, they're beginning to see. And so what we see is that they've told people that if you want to be uh, a genuine Christian, if you want to be really connected with God, there's a number of things that you need to do to be holy and committed to him. So it says things like, um, we need to be... Um, we need to be addressing, addressing certain, certain teachings, and we need to be uh, attending certain ceremonies. It says we need to be observing certain holy days, that we need to desi- d- uh, deny ourselves certain things, and even to worship angels. And so they're saying three things primarily, if you sum them together. We need Jesus plus religious rituals, Jesus plus spiritual visions, and Jesus plus self Denial. So in verse 16 there, he's advocating Jewish, or they're advocating Jewish food laws and Sabbath observance. So we're going to play a little game, all right? It's family fortunes for the Colossians, all right? So here we go, family fortunes. And uh, so in essence, they're, they're being asked the question and saying, right, okay, if you want to be fully holy, you want to be fully connected with God, okay, is it, is it first of all Jesus plus religious rituals? Our Bible says, uh-uh, no. <laughs> What about then? Okay, because so these guys are saying we need to have angelic experiences, uh, spiritual uh, dynamic things kind of going on to us. They're even suggesting that Jesus is so far away now that we need intermediary um, mediators to try and get between us and God. So, Jesus plus spiritual visions. Our Bible says, uh-uh. You can do the noise if you want. That would be fun. All right, third one was that we were speaking about lots of rules, what you eat, what you touch, what you do, what you handle. So, Jesus plus self-denial. Our Bible says, uh-uh. So all of these things, all of these things, Paul says, are like shadows of the solid object that really matters. And he is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so when we look at it, when we see what Paul is saying, he's saying that Jesus and nothing, Jesus and nothing is the thing that actually counts to us. And you know, this was, speaks to my insecurities and it speaks to some of the things that I've thought about wrongly in my life to date. And so I became a, a Christian in this church 10 years ago this month and uh, I love it. I'm so passionate about this place. I love the people. I love the leaders. I love the, um, the worship band and so on. And you know, for a long time then, I thought, you know what, this is the way that we do worship, right? We have a guitar and we have a big drummer and we have the, the bassist. But what happened was that in my pharisaical mind, I would go to other places and particularly the more traditional churches, maybe where my mum used to attend and so on. And I think, you, know, you guys, you're doing it with an organ. What's that all about? Why, why would, you bother, would you bother doing that? Surely God doesn't bless that. But you know what? I've realized that Jesus really loves the organ. You know, and he really loves the kazoo and he really loves all sorts of different things when they are given to the worship and adoration of him. Okay? And so we can have things twisted in our minds. I think similarly, we can start to discount ourselves and think we're less superior Christians, as it were, Because maybe we're very new to the faith. We're very new to a church. Maybe we don't feel experienced. Maybe we see certain people having an encounter with God and we think, man, God obviously loves them far more than he loves me. Do you know, Paul in this passage speaks directly against that and says, no, no amount of 
attending prayer meetings or, or particular you know, spiritual experience or anything else separates you. God loves you personally, and it's because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me put it this way for a moment, okay? Imagine you are stranded in an ocean. Okay? And uh, you realize that there is no way that you can swim to any land from where you are. And a boat pulls itself up. Okay? And um, they, instead of throwing you a life raft, they throw you this thing, an anvil, heavy weight. Well, listen, I don't care how sincere your faith, how much your confidence is, or how much you pursue the anvil, it's always going to sink. Okay? What we need is the one who saves, and his name's is Jesus Christ. So what is it for you? What are you, what are you putting your trust in? How, you know, is, is it the fact that you attend the meeting very regularly? Is it the fact that you, know, you, you come and you do all of the things, you give and you, you belong to a group, which are all brilliant things, but ultimately it's Jesus and Jesus alone who is supreme. Let's move on to the second part of the passage. You see it transitions at this point and says, since then we are raised with Christ, there should be a response. Anyone who is a Christian here, if you are a Christian, something needs to have changed. It says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, it's important, actually, to realize that he is speaking to Christians at this point. Otherwise, what you might think is that, actually, I can be justified by doing the things that Steve's about to say, or that Paul has encouraged us to do here. That's not true. We've already set the foundation that it's very important to know that... Actually, we're doing things we're pursuing with grace-driven effort from approval, from security, from God's love, and not for it. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You know, from a very young age, I loved sport. Every opportunity I had, I would play sport and think about sport and run after it in every which way. And um, I, I would uh, play kind of cricket and tennis and particularly football. And I would have loads of kind of coaching and all sorts of different things. And for such a long time, they talk about positioning, right? You talk about where your feet are supposed to be placed. You talk about where the opposition are and what you're going to do with it. But the very best bit of advice that any sportsman can play, uh, can get in that kind of area. It's a, a bit of advice which you often hear given to young children. It's this. Keep your eyes on the ball. Right? Brilliant bit of advice. And if you watch a match of the day at all and you see some of their howlers, you'll realize it's still very important for professionals. Keep your eyes on the ball. So, you know, I think that this is something that Paul is saying to us now. Okay? The best bit of advice. It's almost as if you're seven-year-olds. Okay? I'm going to give you the advice. Keep your eyes on Jesus. In all and everything. And you know, we're never going to grow bored of him. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 7 that in the coming ages, God's going to reveal you to the riches of grace and his mercy. It's going to take eons. It's going to take a huge chunk of eternity to just develop, get your hands on, just to start to imagine and connected with some of the beauties of what and who Jesus is and what he's done. Because, you know, this can be very hard to grasp in our kind of society just now, because so quickly do you move on from one thing to the next, okay? And so uh, earlier on this year, I was really into that Pharrell Williams song called Happy. You heard the song? Yeah, you got it? So, so I'm listening to it, I'm looking videos of it, we're putting it on regularly every time it comes on, on the adverts, I'm like, yeah, this is really cheering me up, this feels great, and you know, I've, it's just it's brilliant, loving this song. Now, can't stand it. <laughs> Cannot stand it, to the point where I want to turn that thing off every time I hear it. I've just heard it too much. And we can be like this with all sorts of things, you know, favorite restaurant, you know, latest phone, you can be like this with a movie that we've seen recently. It's not going to be like that with Jesus. There's always more to explore of him, and we should always keep our hearts and our minds fixed on him. 
So the question might be for you, how do we do that? What do we do? Okay, I want to keep my heart and my mind fixed on him. What do I do? Well, there are three centrals, I would suggest to you, core things which affect every single one of you as a believer, okay? And uh, I was at the teaching on the beta course that we run for, kind of foundational course for Christians, and um, well, I, I, was, I was teaching them. Someone said to me, hey, I want to know, how do I hear God's voice? How do I really get to know him well? Best bit of advice I could possibly give is to get into his word. He wrote you a story. He wrote you a book, and it's his word. We need to read it, appreciate it, enjoy it, and not just to get through it, but allow it to rub up against us. Allow it um, to, to, to penetrate us, to chew on it, and to apply it to our lives. It also involves prayer, okay? And the results of a fervent prayer life are a unified, purified, faithful, and powerful church. And it also involves community, just as we were hearing with Marco. It's so critical that you're doing life in community with people. Now, in all three of these things, maybe you think, okay, well, where do I go with that? Can I just point you toward what PJ mentioned earlier, the discipleship language. This booklet has been written simply to help you grow and develop, not just once, but for you know, years to come in those things. So get hold of it and explore. But I want to pose two questions which go slightly deeper. They're slightly deeper because they go slightly more personal. First question is this. What is it? That stirs your affection for Jesus Christ. What is it that when you are around it, when you see it, when you're with it, your heart just comes alive for him? What is it that makes you really engaged, happy, joyful, connected to him and wanting to follow him? You know, recently um, I've been driving my car uh, to just quiet locations kind of down uh, country roads and over at Prime Marina in particular. And um, I've been getting out a book, which is the, the Songs of Fellowship book from the kind of you know, early 90s. This kind of came out. And do you know what's interesting is even though I, I kind of believe, became a believer in my mid-20s, kind of 2004 it was, um, there were some seeds that were sown when I was dragged along to church when I was very young, which actually are starting to come to life right now. And so I'm there singing some of these beautiful hymns, just me in the car, very quiet, people think I'm very odd, um, just me in, in, in the car, just going through it because they are filled with beautiful biblical truth where I'm just able to connect with God. You know, there's, there's uh, two preachers I'm listening to quite regularly now, and uh, you know, one's called Perry Noble, the other one's called Stephen Furtick, and you know, these are just guys, they, they, they're both in America, but these are just guys who just so stir me. They get me excited, they, they stir my affections for Jesus, and they make me want to pick up a spear and pick up a shield and run because of what God's called me to. Now, what's important, though, to say is that I, I actually don't want you to get on eBay and start looking for a book of Songs of Fellowship, okay? I also don't particularly want you to go and get onto uh, the, the podcast for either of those two churches. What I do want to do is say, for me, this is stirring my affections for Jesus. What is it for you? Okay? What is it for you? Do you need to be out and walking early in the morning so that you get some time with God? Is it you get uh, stirred your affections when you get to reach out to people and you're communicating about Jesus? Is it serving in a place when you're with the King's Kids workers or you're serving at FNM? What stirs your affections for Jesus? Second question would be, what robs your affections for Jesus? What is it that's, that's kind of getting in the way of your love for him? Because it does say, don't set your mind on the things of the earth, temporary things. And you know what's interesting is I've been exploring this. Often it's not stuff which is wicked or wrong or kind of morally there's a problem with, which can sometimes get in the way, which can sometimes be a hindrance. And so nowhere in the Bible, for example, 
You know, nowhere in the Bible would it say that television is evil, okay? Nowhere does it say that movies are wrong, that hobbies and leisure time. But what I've realized is that it's possible for those things to become central. You know, that sports news for me, for example, I've got to be very careful that the first thing I do in the morning isn't to just go and kind of read stacks of pages about my favorite sports teams or last thing at night because I want God to have that place. So whether I'm getting connected too much with games or with Facebook or with individuals actually who are just starting to suck me dry of my affection for Jesus. We need to be on the lookout for it. What is it that stirs your affections for him? What is it that robs your affections? And you know, I've realized that when we have our hearts and our minds fixed on Jesus, stuff starts to happen around us. We start to prioritize things differently. Let me, let me give you just four very quick stories of some of the things that have been happening in just in the last couple of weeks of people who are part of this church. Okay? There's a, a lady here in our offices who a, a few years ago got fed up of actually feeling like Halloween night was a horrible evening where she wanted to turn the lights off and go and hide away. So instead now, what she does is that she spends a whole stack of time creating little packs and she, uh, she makes toffee apples and goodie bags and puts scripture verses together. And then as people come to her door, she has the presence of mind to invite them in and say, hey, do you know what? I don't actually celebrate Halloween, but I love people and I love when people come here and I want to bless you with this. Praise God that in the midst of such actually dark circumstances, she's wanting to be a light into those places. I love it. I've got another uh, kind of friend of mine who's here who works as an optician. And uh, he, his, his role is very much kind of one thing after another. You've got to get through the amount of appointments. You only get a limited amount of time with each patient. And uh, he had someone just come into him just a little short while ago who said, you know, in the midst of the conversation, she was about to go to New York. And uh, she had a problem with her leg. She wasn't going to be able to run the marathon that she was supposed to. But he decided that even in that place, because his mind and his heart were fixed on Jesus, that he was going to prioritize what God was doing and offer to pray, got to pray for this lady. Another friend of mine who um, makes, for me, what is a very ordinary thing into an extraordinary thing, because every time he walks up Ampsill Road, every time he actually comes to this building, he stops at the bus stations, at the bus stops on the, on the road, and he just says to people, hey, I'm just part of the church or the road here, is there anything I can pray for you about? Is there anything that I can, I can do to serve you? What a brilliant thing to do. And just to prioritize having his head and his heart connected with Jesus. There was a lady even this last week who was on holiday. And uh, she was on holiday in the midst of uh, all the distractions that that can be. She gets to meet a homeless guy. A guy who, um, to all intents and purposes, lots of people would simply ignore. And she got to speak life into him, to, to love on him. Just to, to say, look, this is how much Jesus cares for you. At the end of that conversation, she said, hey, look, can I give you a hug? She embraced the guy and he bursts out into tears and said, I'm just a bum. How could this be for me? I'm just a bum. How could you do this for me? These are people who have got their hearts and their minds fixed on Jesus. You know, I want to end with, I want to end with just this one story because the reality is that for me, regularly, regularly I wake up and realize that actually I don't do this as well as I could. Don't leave me hanging. You guys are in the same place, right? Sometimes you think, maybe, maybe I haven't lived quite with my full attention, my heart, my mind focused on him in the way that I should be. Would you agree I'm not in the, on this on my own, right? Well, you know, I believe that God is so grace-filled, and the more, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done, but the more that I've realized and matured is that a mark of Christian maturity is that actually when we stumble, when we don't do the things actually we're called to do, that we run toward God and not run away from him to try and fix things out, fix things up, sort things out so that we can go back to him. You know, my, uh, my little boy James... It was about a year ago now, it was on the 2nd or 3rd of December last year, for the very first time that he took his first steps. It's 
Very exciting. And you know what it's like with kids. They, they sit up for a little while, and then you kind of hold them for a little while. And then at some point, they do that magic thing of pulling themselves up on something. So this is him. They call it cruising, okay? And so uh, they, they hold onto the furniture. They're kind of wobbling around on the side of a sofa or clinging onto a table. Sometimes they might grab onto something. And then there's that moment. This is what happened on say, around the 3rd of December last year, where um, James, and you know what it's like with kids, very big head, very small body, right? And so you realize that at some point gravity is going to go and they've got a choice. Either they're going to put a foot out or they're going to go smack down their faces, right? And so there was this uh, occasion where he just starts to, starts to go. And, uh, you know, we're there all excited and he sort of takes these three steps and then falls over into my arms and you're like, yeah, come on, it's amazing. It's like, what are we going to do? Get the camera, let's set up the video. You know, who's going to put it on Facebook? Let's make sure that we... Make sure that we call your mum because it's amazing. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it exciting? Look at the steps that he has taken. Do you know, there's a whole stack of parents who have got kids around the same sort of age that we do right now. I don't know one of them who, as their child's taken the first two or three steps, is like, as he's fallen over, idiot. <laughs> doesn't happen, does it? It's not like you can do better than that. Actually, there's, a, there's great joy and there's great excitement. There is great celebration by the fact that every single step that is taken. And you know, honestly, I believe that in heaven, as we take steps, even where we fall down, every step that we take there is an explosion of rejoicing in the heavenlies. You know, the reason why, the reason why is that I think that we are now seen, just as we've heard from those early, early verses, we are now connected in Christ so actually, God sees us through the lens of Jesus' perfection. It's quite a beautiful thing. It says in that final verse there that we will share in his glory. We can be secure, comforted, sheltered, all in the promise that we are hidden in Christ.